Join us for PR Safari, a podcast by Center for Public Relations. PR Safari, your ultimate guide to navigate the complex PR landscape in Africa. Find us at www.cpr.africa. Hello, my name is Chris Wangalua. Our guest and guide today is Joel Chacha. Joel is director at Portland Communications. You are a judge at the PR Week. What does that mean to be a judge at PR Week and being an African? It means a lot for me, especially being uh, the first Kenyan and one of the few Africans. I don't know of any other African who's done it, but it was very good exposure and uh, gave me a lot of key learnings that you know I'm bound to use in my day-to-day practice. Is that the only Kenyan or the only African ever? So the PR Week usually looks at entries from Europe, Asia, and the Americas. And uh, no Africans. No Africans. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How were the entries like? Because you're surprising me that there are no Africans at all, mm. at least in the entries. Yes. And now we have an African on the panel yeah. of judges. We've seen other awards, Saba Awards, PRSK Awards, name it. What makes it different? How are the entries like and how was the experience of being the judge? Yeah, the entries are very different. You know, PR has really morphed. One of the big differences I saw was a lot of the entries had the budget included just to show how much people are still investing in PR or comms. That was very vital. And also innovation. Innovation was very huge. So a lot of people are using, if it's artificial intelligence, a lot of people are using the new billboards, a lot of people are integrating the new kind of tech into their comms, and there's a lot of budget. So a lot budget was very key, which I've seen a lot of uh, clients here, especially in this region. The budgets are usually very minimal in as much as any comms or marketing uh, activities concerned. That was huge. And now you are mentioning that uh, even the budgets for billboards mm-hmm. were involved, which means communicators were yeah. communicating via billboards. Is that the way that it works out there? They even provided budgets for billboards. Yes. So one of the things that even as uh, Portland, we always try and tell our clients is PR and marketing cannot work in silos. So it's a team that you need to work together uh, when developing a campaign. Because even as uh, marketers, marketing has also evolved. It has moved towards what I refer to as progressive advertising. If you look at some of, and I've seen some of the big brands here in Kenya have also started integrating the same or using the same where people are getting rid of the stereotypes. So nowadays you'd see in billboards or you'd see in commercials even that including albinos, they're changing the stereotype of where if it's a meal, you'd find a man in the kitchen. So people are trying to get rid of all those uh, old stereotypes. And the good thing is now when we're moving towards progressive advertising, it means there are a lot of stories also PR can tell. Because even when you're sourcing for, you know, the auditioning for the models that you wanted to have in your, uh, in your advert, yes. it's very different. And yes. There's a lot of stories you can tell. Where you're going on the queues, you're seeing different people with different disabilities. You know, there's one telco here in Kenya where you've seen also they've included someone with crutches on the advert, which is something that back in the day you'd have never seen. So advertising has also morphed. If you look at uh, car adverts also nowadays, they've changed. Back in the day, they'll have a billboard of, a, you know, a good-looking girl. But they're not talking about the features. Yeah. So people have realized that uh, we've changed as the consumers. We're more keen on finding out, you know, if it's a car, what are the features? 
If you go back to the principles and look at the IDA model, so yes, this lady will capture my attention and interest, but there's desire. But the biggest thing you need to look at is the action. Will I buy it? If that lady captured my attention, then I need to know what are the features on this car. Yeah, I, I remember that concept. I think it's a model called uh, elaboration likelihood model, yeah. which talks about the central route and the peripheral route, where yeah. the peripheral is there's a beautiful person or handsome person there, yeah. and then now you notice what they are selling, and then there is the central route where you see the features and, mm. the, and the characteristics that make you go for that. You mentioned AI. Yeah. And of course, in Africa, people have still not embraced AI that much. The only AI they know is ChatGPT. So, so. <laughs> yeah. And how does that look over there? So uh, it's one of the things that was discussed. So how AI is being used and how ChatGPT is being utilized by a lot of agencies is it has lessened the period where a lot of agencies would take in brainstorming. So you know how you'd hit a wall back yes. in the day when you're trying to come up with a creative idea. So that's what ChatGPT has done, really. So you know, a lot of people were very concerned that you know ChatGPT was going to take over their jobs. But what it has done is now it has helped um, you know reduce the. It's a brainstorming. It's a brainstorming. Friend. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you know, if you hit a wall, you just write on ChatGPT, then it gives you an idea. But uh, you know, creativity. You know, some of the things even I've seen on ChatGPT cannot really apply. Then it was also lessened, you know, the period where maybe people would take writing press releases. Gives you an idea, then you have to tweak it, really. How did you end up at PR Week panel? Let me tell you an interesting thing. I was telling my one of my friends in London last week, even them, they were asking. So I was, I was searching for awards to, you know, enter entries when I was still at Telem. And I saw the PR Week Global Awards. I saw there was a part for entries for, you know, in some of the categories, some of your client work, and there was judges. And I looked at it, there was a caveat that, you know, all the centers were open for Europe, uh, Middle East, and America. I was like, anyway, let me apply. I have nothing to lose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Godspeed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I applied and I got it. I was shocked. I got okay. it. Yeah. But it was, that, that's how I do. So for me, I usually try stuff out. And uh, my late dad used to tell me when I was in uni, he told me, a lot of you guys, nowadays, there's so many universities offering journalism. What would make you stand out? Mm -hmm. What would make you better than yes. your deskmate? Everybody is doing what you can do. Yeah. And now there's even people who can do what you do without going to class. Yeah. So then that's what I've always done. So even now when I was in my second year or sophomore, let me call it as a USIU state. Yeah. So I, I started looking, aggressively looking for jobs. And that's how I got into KTN as a reporter trainee. That gave me an edge over my classmates. Because, you know, the problem is I was looking at the job market. A lot of people were graduating. My brother graduated before me. And a lot of the journalism students that had graduated, apart from John Alenamu, none of them had jobs. So I went and asked them, what's the issue? They told me, Chacha, the job market is looking for people with two, three years' experience. So I'm like, but as guys work in, I work in the studio. I write in the magazine. They're like, okay, that's fine. But, you know, if you have mainstream, then it gives you an edge. So that's how now I got into um, Standard Group. So even over the years, that's what I've been trying to do. I was told I can't join journalism mm. because my older sister, who, who <laughs> wasn't employed yeah. after graduating, had done journalism. Had done journalism. So yeah. I was told the trending thing was <laughs> social work. How did you end up in agency or oh, in, the, in the PR practice in PR. for that matter? So the thing is, I'm, I'm the eighth born in a family of 10 kids. Mm -hmm. uh, my second born sister did journalism. So there's a time I was watching news. I didn't know it was her. Because, you know, back then, 
you know we had a black and white TV. was it because of she, makeup or because of tv yeah okay <laughs> it was it was a black and white tv yeah i think i was in class one uh-huh. so i asked her Josephine, Josephine told me that's me i'm like that's not you you don't look that <laughs> <laughs> so um because i'm a very talkative person then from class four i decided i'm doing i'm focusing on journalism and pr so i've never changed i'm one of those guys if you could ask my classmates from primary school mm-hmm. to high school, when people are saying they want to be engineers, they want to be doctors, I mean, I was just telling them, I just, but they... You wanted to be a journalist, there was no PR. Yeah, yeah, journalism then, and uh, theology. So yeah. I, uh, okay. I want to be a pastor. Now that's surprising. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a pastor. I actually crammed the Bible. No way. Because I wanted people to take me as that guy who can quote verses yeah. without without referring anywhere. True. And I would be an angel. Yeah. <laughs> that was the... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I did CRE. When people are going to do physics, I told them, yeah, I'm just doing CRE. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to do journalism, if it fails, then theology. Now, when I finished high school, um, the results were out. Then I told my folks the two options, and they didn't like it. They're like, hey, journalism, you know, my sister did, my sister did journalism, and she didn't like it. The thing is, okay. journalism is also a calling. So if you're going, the problem is a lot of people are doing it for the money. So sometimes that doesn't usually turn out as good or as sexy as it looks because it's a passion. You're following what you want. You want to you want to report. But, you know, sometimes we'll be doing the budget story and you're saying it's go- the new budget is going to affect the common one, ain't you? You're reporting, you're wondering how you'll get bus fare home. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. so, so now let me get back to how I got to uh, PR. So then I got married pretty young. I got mm-hmm. married when I was twenty-one. Okay. And uh, my wife had left, uh, had left Sweden and moved here. So now what happened is it was very hard because I was hardly home. Working hours, then you get an off on Monday or Tuesday. So there are hardly days that I had spent with her. So my mom told me in life uh, you have two balls. You have a rubber ball and you have a glass ball. Career is the rubber ball. Careers can bounce back, but families, once you drop that ball, it cracks completely. That's it, it, That's it. So when I graduated in 2011, I decided to leave the newsroom and actually decided to move to Sweden. So I moved to Sweden for a while. Eh? Sweden wasn't working out. Jobs. The problem you is, mean all these things people say on TikTok? Come to Canada. Uh, no, they don't work. No, I'd advise anyone who wants to go abroad get a job before you go abroad. So if you do it the other way around, and that's why sometimes I'm shocked when I see people trying to going through Tunisia, trying to get access to Europe. I've had residents there, and getting jobs is just very difficult. Even I was talking to a few people in Stockholm back then. Just for you to get shortlisted, you have to have changed your names to you know. Your Wells Svensson. Yeah. For me to just get shortlisted on okay. the job. So that was difficult. And I didn't want to do truck driving, so I decided to come back home. And I switched to PR. Portland. Yeah. Some of us knew very early that you were moving. Okay. Congratulations, first of all, that you are now a director over here. Thank you. How is it like? What's the difference? You've been to Ogilvy. You've been yeah. to Telem. You are now at... Uh, Portland, of course, with more responsibilities, yeah. more solid title. How is it like? What's the difference? What's Portland? So Portland is a global strategic communication consultancy. You know, we have corporate communication, there's health, there's sustainability. We have some of our clients who are handling the Brexit, you know, narrative. There's employee engagement, public affairs, global development, local sports, government advisory, disputes, and fintech. 
then all this is underpinned by content and brand, digital, global campaigns, events, research and insights. So how, how Portland is different from other agencies, you know, as, as you rightly said, I worked for Ogilvy, which was also a global agency. I worked for Telem, which is a very good uh, a boutique agency, one of the best in East Africa. But what's different is at Portland, I'm part of the international team. So what international team means is we offer one thing that internally we refer to the one Portland offer. So what it does is as part of the Portland international team, I'm part of a huge team. I think we're about 80 Mm-hmm. So some of my colleagues are in the UK, some of them are in uh, London, I mean, obviously in London, some yeah. are in Paris. Yeah, London is the HQ. Yeah, so Paris, Berlin, Brussels, Washington, Nairobi, Singapore, and Doha. So sometimes when we get a brief, you know, as I told you here, we are a team of five, sometimes I might get a brief and my colleagues are very, uh, they're very busy with other accounts. Mm-hmm. So what we do, we have a resourcing team. So despite okay. us being in different, um, you know, not being domiciled in London, we have colleagues that I can work with. Mm-hmm. Like there's some pitch decks that I've worked with and I worked completely with colleagues in London. My colleagues here in Nairobi were not that much involved. And there's some other, uh, you know, depending on the brief, then it depends on who you can easily uh, loop in uh, to help you work it out. So it's a one team. You know, when you talk about an international team, then you can reach out to all those resources and they'll, re- they'll help you out. You know, with other agencies, they'll tell you, okay, we're, we're, you know, we're a big agency, we have affiliates. But when it comes to a brief after the brainstorm, after working on the deck, then everyone disappears. But even servicing the clients, we have a team in London that services the clients that, you know, some of my colleagues are working very closely with. It's been noted that a lot of uh, global agencies... Mm-hmm do not contextualize or do not Africanize or Kenyanize. Yeah. How do the global team do it to be able to Africanize? So um, for a lot of the clients that we get, the RFP usually guides us on what, what's really needed. And uh, we have, I have colleagues who have extensive experience across Africa. Some of my colleagues who are based in, uh, you know, in Paris, and some of them have traveled one of my colleagues told me he's traveled to around 42 countries here. So they understand these are people who've had extensive experience in this in this region. And one of the things is um, when we get, uh, like, a, if it's an international press release, then we're able to localize it. I've worked uh, across 32 markets, Central East and Western Africa. So I understand. And one of the things that we always push back is, you know, markets across Africa are not homogeneous. Yeah. Yeah, there's some things, there's a press release that you draft here in Kenya that would, you know, be picked up. In, in Nigeria and may not necessarily be picked up in, in Tanzania, you know, yes. neighboring countries. So we really need to tweak and look at the news values. The news values always guide us on, mm-hmm. you know, the kind of content that we'll need to publish in different regions. So some of my colleagues also have worked extensively. They've been bureau chiefs. Some of them have 35 years experience, 25 years experience working for the big, uh, the big media houses, BBC, Al Jazeera, They've worked for international media houses like Luke Baker, who I was doing media training last week with. He has extensive experience covering all regions across the world. Mm-hmm. So one of the things is um, oh, that has really helped um, helped me also. You know, you know, we we get to push back if if you know there's a press release that's coming and uh, we we have we have the leeway to push back and say this may not necessarily be covered yeah. in this region. Yeah. Okay, I'm just wondering. You've been around for. I don't know how long. Yeah, yeah, the moment you're you're an account director at Ogilvy, and then you go and uh, I think you are account director as well at at, at Telem. That was a general manager. General manager, and yes. And, yeah. yeah, and yeah. then now you are director. 
what haven't you seen or what have you seen that is missing that um, the industry can borrow or or is that your magic bullet <laughs> <laughs> no um so for me actually one of the reason i decided to join portland is i needed to develop different skill sets so i've done a lot of stuff in fmcg i've done tech i've done aviation but I used to, you know, for all the agencies that I've worked for, apart from Ogilvy, where I did a few things for UNHCR, is I wanted to develop more in the uh, developmental world. I wanted to get more skills in policy. And that's what these guys offer, corporate, you know, developmental policy focus groups across the African continent. So that's what I wanted to develop. And this is what, if you look at our client portfolio, those are the clients we handle. And... You know the problem. Do you want to give us a few, uh, <laughs> or do we go and read the website? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention them, but they're big uh, NGOs. Yeah. yeah, sustainability, international development, health, dispute, government advisory. So, in our agency, we have a team that specializes in disputes. So we have a team that really looks at a client. They look at you know the case so that we were able to control the narrative. We own the narrative for some of our clients because sometimes when you let the media or a third party to own your narrative, then that's how you kill your brand. There's a case study about Burger King where they post, they tweeted and said there are women belong in the kitchen. Uh-huh. Then immediately after that, oh, no. yeah, KFC posted and wrote uh-huh. that the most ideal time for you to have deleted this post was immediately you wrote it. And the second was ideal time for you to delete it right now. Mm-hmm. Then you see, so if you look at Burger King and KFC, it got a lot of backlash. Yeah. But yet they didn't, they didn't own the narrative. They took long to respond. Yeah. You know, it took a while for them. They researched him to think about it. You know, then they, they posted back, but it was too late. KFC had taken the day. I believe there is nothing like a crisis. Yes, there's nothing like a crisis. So the golden rule is when there's an opportunity like that, uh, the best thing to do is to tell the truth. The golden rule is tell the truth, tell it fast, tell it all. So that no one has, uh, you know, no one has anything to say. Yeah. If you look at it strategically, even if you look at uh, the likes of Obama, where he wrote a book before he ran for, for office. That's the thing, yes. Yeah. He, he wrote that book strategically. You know, to reveal some of the things he had done, he had smoked weed, so that if you know he was running for president, no one else would come out and say, "Ah, but you know, this guy used to smoke weed with us." Yeah, he he, he, ima- he imagined what you guys are gonna yeah, say, yeah. and said it before you said it, so yeah. that then you you don't look like you're saying anything the anything anyway. new. Yeah. So if if it was new, and it would have made it to news. Yes. But there was nothing. People have yeah. said that is something that he's really stated. We were discussing before we started the recording that brands are becoming humans and humans are becoming brands. Yeah. And a lot of us humans, the way we know ourselves, not many times do we get into crisis. And therefore, what makes a brand find themselves into a crisis? Take the case of Burger King. Mm. What made them tweet whatever they tweeted? So the problem is sometimes, uh, and that's why it's always good to have a think tank. Before you flight out your campaigns, before you, you know, roll out something, have a number of people look at it. Because sometimes when you're working in silos, then that's when you remember, oh, there's PR. Yeah. Yes, because that maybe was a marketing uh, role mm-hmm. or task to do. That's why sometimes we tell a lot of people that have have content calendars that are pre-approved. Mm-hmm. You know, like for some of our clients, that's what we do for them. We do content calendars a week before, and these are all reviewed by a number of people before we post them. And how we do this is we always, it's always good to diagnose potential vulnerabilities and see, 
So sometimes, as you're saying, a crisis by present an opportunity. So if then you post something and it picks, it gets a lot of traction. Then what Burger King would have had is when they knew this is a post that had been approved internally, it might get a lot of backlash. People may not really understand yeah. what it means. But then they should have had immediate posts. The delay on social media, what people always say is you need to respond at least in 15 minutes. But you know, when I was at KTN, Nzile told me there's too much textbook journalism you're trying to bring. <laughs> so some things are easier said yeah, <laughs> than yeah. done. You don't even know, oh, how do you deal with this? Yeah. If you delete, it's a crisis. It's a crisis. It's because, I mean, the moment you, there are people who are just watching you to take a screenshot. Yeah, and that's the problem. There you delete and then now no. you're going down. Deleting is the worst. Yeah. If you decided you're going ahead with it, then go ahead with it. But you know, uh, I can tell you know I've handled a number of crises in, in in with different clients in this region. And the problem is a lot of the a lot of co drivers, a lot of people will tell you, but you should have done this, you should yeah, have done that. Yeah. And yet I've seen them also going through a number of crises and I told them, but you should have themselves done themselves who are saying you yeah. should have done this. Yeah, so yes. that's why it's always good to if you have clients, it's always good to have quarterly reviews. Because things keep changing. Back in the day, uh, social media wasn't such a huge threat. I remember when I was working at KTN, even we're not allowed to have access to social media. But nowadays, if it, if it doesn't tweet, if it doesn't trend, then it's not newsworthy. Things are changing. Thank you very much, Joel, for <laughs> making you. the time. And uh, congratulations for your achievements. And we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.